Hello and welcome to the Two Goons Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Pressman. And for the first time since, I guess, what, 2013? Journalism school. When we recorded the Above the Fold podcast in person with a with a little shitty microphone sitting in between us on some table. We're recording for the in, in your basement apart, apartment in Rexdale <laughs> near Humber College. Uh, we're recording in person. It's crazy. Look how far the boys have come. I know. We we're sitting up. here with a setup that costs a lot of money and doesn't even work. It's great. <laughs> uh, now I get to react in real time to your horrible takes. That's true. You get uh, to see my facial expressions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, to celebrate this momentous occasion, we got a special guest today. Uh, at this point, I'd consider him a friend of the show. I don't know if he's a friend of yours. He was referring to you as the uh, the, Habs, the fan. Habs fan before we came on here. But uh, Ian T- uh, Tillock, or Graf, whichever he prefers, is joining us today. Ian, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm, I'm sorry about calling you the Habs fan, Nick. It's just that's how I, I remember you in my head. There's the Leafs fan and then uh, there's a Habs fan. Hey, yeah. I was I was saying a second it's ago. Kind of the way it is. Yeah, I mean, it's my comfort zone. I've been referred to as the Habs fan my entire life. And, you know, growing up in Toronto, it's all I've been known as. So it's totally fine. This is this is my wheelhouse being referred to as the Habs fan. So <laughs> feel free. Throw in the word dirty if you want. And he, it, he's okay with it. Don't worry about it. Um, so, Ian, obviously, we've got a bunch to discuss today. Um, mostly just, well, I mean, I guess all about the offseason. But uh, you were on before. You've been through the trivia gauntlet. And uh, we're about to put you through it again once again. Are you ready? Uh, Dominic Moore, without even knowing what the question he was is. On, That's my answer. He was on TV. I saw him on TV today. He's getting ready for his ping pong tournament. But no, not Dominic Moore. Not even the right position. Nick, are you ready? Jacob Truba. Not Jacob Truba. Okay. But the correct position, which you'll see now. Um, okay. Here's a question. Who has the NHL record for the most power play goals in a single season? We don't, we don't get a clue? Well, or? I'll give you one clue, but you know it gets... I think I know it. Oh, you can't go one for one on my podcast. Oh, yes, he can. But if you know it, go for yes, it. Yes, please, please answer if you know. Now, now that I've said it, I think I might be wrong, but my guess would be it would be during that 05-06 season when the power plays were super inflated. I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> but I'm not sure which defenseman it would have been during that year... Would it have been Brian McCabe? No, that seems no. Incorrect. That's my guess. That was a good. That was my first guess too. But no, Nick, do you have a guess? Sheldon Sure. Come on, man. Are you kidding me? I swear. To God. Turn your computer around. <laughs> Go ahead. I I googled it, but I never clicked on anything. You are such. <laughs> I. <laughs> that's he was on the halves, right? Row. Was he on the halves? Yeah, it was yeah. on the halves. So it's a memorable year. Man, that is unbelievable. <laughs> So, Did I get the year right at least? Because it, I know power plays went up exponentially when they introduced, um, what do you call it, obstruction hooking and everything yeah. right after. It, it the was the in. season after. It was 06, 07. Okay. See, so, I, I was going to go way back to like the 80s, not even knowing that that happened. But as soon as Ian mentioned that, it maybe got me thinking. And Fucking asshole. That's <laughs> twice, twice in two weeks you've got it on the first try. And my hints were going to be, it would have given it away. My easiest, my hardest hint was he... he was a hardest shot contest winner and that he set an Oilers team record for the fastest two goals ever scored, which was seven seconds, which is actually really impressive. Um, wow. Yeah. Anyways, good job. Okay, Ian. Uh, we're going to jump right into things here. Let's start off with the silliest and get progressively more uh, serious, I guess. The Nylander number switch. 
I'm sure you were uh, dead center in the in the fan reaction, were you not? Oh yeah, I'm on Leafs Twitter, and I've, I try to cover both sides of it so that I know what you know both you know young millennial analytics Leafs Twitter saying and what hockey dad Twitter baby boomer Twitter is saying. I try to make sure that I'm aware of what both sides are thinking and. <laughs> I, th- I think there was a lot more outrage than, 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 or at least I think there's a lot less outrage than people were making it out to be. I think one or two people were upset and then a few people were pretending to be upset. Yeah. Personally, I was much more offended of Tyson Berry taking uh, you know, the, the Maple Leaf legend Sergey Berezin's number. So <laughs> that's the much bigger controversy, in my opinion. We're not talking enough about that. We can expect your hit piece <laughs> in the athletics some point soon. <laughs> oh, coming soon. Yeah. Um, it's it's super weird. Like, it seems like there's no middle ground with Nylander. You're either a Nylander truther or you just. It seems like it seems like the pro Marner crowd hates him. But it seems like there's. It, it, this is just another thing. Like, I even I even saw people online saying that the number eighty eight was like related to like Nazism in some way. Like, it's just it's ridiculous how much people just love to hate the guy. I mean, if you look hard enough, you can find absurd takes on the internet very easily. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff out there. But when it comes to Nylander, I, I kind of agree in that. It's very polarizing. I think the the fans that really like his game, that are a huge fan of his transition game, his puck handling ability, I think, you know, the hockey dad Twitter get really frustrated with those fans. And then the young millennial Twitter, the young millennial Twitter, the, you know, us on this podcast right now, we get really frustrated when people call him a floater or, you know, some European who doesn't back check and i feel like there might be some middle ground that we can agree that he's a very talented player who we'd like to see battle a bit harder defensively you know win more battles in the corners because at the end of the day talent usually does win out but i can understand where some of the frustrations are coming from and i can understand why there was frustration with how his contract situation was handled both by dubis and nylander and his agent and the entire thing just it was a bit of a mess last year and i feel like that's kind of reached the point this offseason where with marner it's almost 10 times worse than it was with Nylander last year because some of the stuff that's been out uh, from from his agent's camp and Darren Ferris and, you know, Darren Drager, his other uh, unofficial agent on, on Twitter, it's 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 been a it's been quite the summer in Leafsland. It's great. Yeah, yeah it, it feels just it honestly just felt like an excuse just for people to hate on Nylander like, some more like any excuse people can get on hockey Twitter to hate on Nylander and, you know, how dare he wear the number of a guy who would actually go in the corners and battle and like, played 33 games for yeah. the Leafs. Such a <laughs> disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Lindros, uh, the Lindros hate or the, the saying that he would take a legends number like Lindros was a little much. That's when I bowed out surprisingly, not after the hit, the Nazi stuff. Anyways. Um, again, I guess some more funny news before we get to, uh, the real stuff, and this happened yesterday. So the Leafs, um, the water bottles in Toronto have never been safer, Ian. Confirm or deny? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's, it's got to be true. I mean, I don't know if Todd Bertuzzi is still in the league to to be to be swiping them. Is is the other Bertuzzi in the league? Is he related to Todd he's Bertuzzi? Is there he's no his uh, nephew? Yep. So we got to watch out for him. So he, he's he's the main culprit that we got to keep an yeah. eye on. But otherwise, the water bottles are safe. In the in the four one six six four seven area, I'm feeling pretty good. David Clarkson's back, baby. Dust off those number seventy one <laughs> sweaters, man. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I have seen quite a few Clarkson jerseys, which is I always find it funny whenever I see someone wearing a Clarkson jersey because I'm just like, oh man, like at what point did you regret that purchase? But 
It's preseason. I, I, I probably got as soon as he took guy. his ten game you know suspension. Mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. He seems like such a nice guy, right? Like he, it obviously did not go the way, and I, he's obvi- he's not playing. He, his career's over. Like he's got a career-ending injury. He's heading. This is purely a cap move, but it is really sad the way his first go around turned out. And you know what's really funny about uh, David Clarkson is that analytics people would have loved him back in 2012 or 2013 because even though he had a a high shooting percentage that was uncharacteristically high and was bound to come back down he always drove possession really well he was one of those guys who you would like as a complimentary winger on your second line to get in the corners win puck battles be defensively responsible he was kind of like a zach hyman type of player that you just you fall in love with but the, the contract was obviously atrocious and then Really, from day one, his game just fell off a cliff, and then he had a back injury, and then he was out of the league within a within two or three years. It was just it couldn't have gone worse. But it's funny how if you look at the the closer numbers back during his time during New Jersey, or even just the year before he was signed in Toronto, he was kind of one of those analytics darlings who drives play despite not put up not putting up monster point totals. But then seven years of term that you're not worried about in years six and seven, and then the 10-game suspension, and that first year that just couldn't have gone worse. The second year didn't go that great. It was just, it was kind of a worst-case scenario for everyone involved. I feel real bad for the poor guy. Garrett Sparks was a guy that um, there was a ton of debate heading into last season about him and McElhaney and who should they keep. And I think I think they did make the right decision at the time in keeping Sparks. Obviously, it hadn't worked out that way. Um, what do you think about him leaving and Neuwirth most likely getting the backup job? And do you think he's uh, sort of the whipping boy maybe, or do you think he deserved all the crap he got last season? Honestly, I, I'd rather not spend a ton of time talking about backup goaltending just because I feel like if you have a top 10 goalie in the NHL, your backup doesn't really matter. Like in Tampa Bay, if they spent most of their time talking about who Vasilevsky's backup was, how much does that really matter? Because if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, Vasilevsky's going to need to be healthy. If Toronto's going to win a Cup, Frederick Anderson's going to need to be healthy. So I, again, I was with you. I thought that Garrett Sparks was a good bet to make based on his age and his historical performance at the AHL level. Obviously didn't work out this past year. There's a chance he ba- bounces back in a different city. That's yet to be seen. He's still 26 years old. There's a chance he gets better, but... I understand the frustrations with him. I understand wanting to move on from him, even though I, I still think there's a chance he gets better. I'm not sure if Michael Neuwirth is going to win the backup role. It sounds like it's going to be between him and Michael Hutchinson. So we'll see how that works out. But Neuwirth is one of those guys who I always kind of liked. He, you know, underrated kind of backup goalie. I don't think he's going to be a guy who you want to start more than, say, 20 times in the regular season. But that, that's that's kind of where we're at with backup goaltending. I mean, we're, we're relying on such a small sample for these guys. For goaltending talent to truly show itself, you need about 100-plus starts. So when you're looking at a backup goalie who's going to get anywhere between 15 and 20 starts in a regular season, it's such a it's such a gong show when it comes to the, the, the amount of variance that's involved in it that it really doesn't matter who the backup is. Maybe it's Neuvert. Maybe it's Hutchinson. Maybe it's someone that they pick up on waivers halfway through the year. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day, so I hope that Neuwirth works, but if he doesn't, I'm sure that the Leafs will find someone else who can start a few games for them on back-to-backs. Yeah, I agree. It's always kind of been a weirdly placed criticism of the team to me that, like, this is a problem they have to fix as the backup goalie. And I guess it's because, like, these days in Toronto, there's not a ton to poke holes in with the roster or anything like that. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, if they get where they're supposed to go, I think we can all agree they're basically, like, a top-five team. So, like, if they're going to the playoffs, who cares what their backup goalie situation is? Like, they just need to... Yeah, the... the... Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah. 
I was just going to say, I thought the much bigger problem for Toronto, or at least the much bigger question I have going into the season, is whether or not Alexander Kerfoot can play third-line center and replace Nazem Kadri. Because if he can, yeah. then your roster is looking very good. If he can't, then that's something you're going to need to address throughout the season, whether it's through trade or maybe seeing if Jason Spets can fill in there, but that's not ideal. So there are other questions on the roster. There are other areas of concern. Penalty kill, you know, the right-hand side on defense is always going to be a concern in Toronto, but... Backup goaltending—it just—it's—it's something that we really shouldn't be wasting too much effort with, and it it seemed to occupy a lot of time on Twitter last year. Yeah, so one of those question marks too with the Leafs, I guess, like you mentioned, was their defense, and that brings us to a guy in Jake Gardner, where there's a lot of questions about what's the deal with him, why is he unsigned, is is there like you know a hush hush deal where he may end up with the Leafs again or something? Like, what's your take on Gardner and? you know, the mystery surrounding him? Is it just as simple as his back injuries or is there something more to this? So I don't have inside information. I don't claim to be a Bob McKenzie kind of insider here, but I I have heard whispers from a few people that Jake Gardner was expecting to get more term on, on, on July 1st from different teams. It wasn't out there. And that the types of contracts that are available from teams right now who have used up a lot of their cap space, it isn't what he's looking for. So if he's going to take a short term deal with a random team, I think he might try to take it with Toronto. The the hard part there is that Toronto's basically capped out once we include a Marner contract that's in, let's say, the the nine-ish million dollar range, nine and a half. So they would need to ship out salary in some regard. I'm not sure if Cody Cece is movable at this point. I'm not sure what other kind of salary you'd be able to move out if you look to trade someone like, I don't know, uh, like a, a Janssen or Kapanen or Hyman who, well, that again, Janssen and Kapanen just signed deals, so I don't think you can actually trade them until the season, until a few months into the season. But basically, in order for Gardner to fit into the cap, he'd either need to sign at almost a league minimum deal, which it's it's very difficult to see him doing, or the Leafs would need to maneuver the salary cap in some kind of creative way, which they've been known to do. I mean, they did just add David Clarkson's contract to LTIR, which it goes into a bit of the, the CBA rabbit hole. But long story short, that is going to help them have more cap space to sign Marner at the beginning of the season. It's very weird how it works out. But basically, unless they're able to trade Cody Cece before the season starts, I just I don't see a way for Jake Gardner to fit onto this roster salary-wise unless he takes a massive discount. And hey, maybe there's a, a chance he takes a one-year, $1 million deal from Toronto, tries to re-up his value for next offseason, proves that the injury isn't as bad as people think, he, think it is, and then he gets a, a four-, or five-, six-year deal in free agency. We'll, we'll wait and see, but I'd imagine that Jake Gardner signs with another team, whether it's a Minnesota, his hometown team, or or some other team that's willing to give him maybe two years of term. But I don't see it from a salary perspective in Toronto unless Gardner's willing to take a huge discount, which is definitely a possibility. It feels like, I, I don't know, I, I like I'm missing something here too because you, you have to think that there are several teams that have called and could use a guy like that. Like This is a guy who... I mean, if there's no back issue, like you have to think that he gets snapped up day one of uh, of free agency. But like, still, we're dragging into the end of July here, and I feel like there's at least what? What do you think? Like a dozen teams that could use a guy like that at least, like at least on their. I mean, I'm third looking parent. at the Montreal Canadiens for yeah. Nick right now. I'm thinking, Absolutely. man, the left the left side defense doesn't look great. I'd love to slot Gardner in on my second pairing. hundred I mean, percent. He might be your 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 top pairing defenseman on on the left side at least. So. There are a bunch of teams. I, I could list 10 teams, in my opinion, that could use a defenseman like Gardner on a one- or two-year deal. 
I'm not sure what he's holding out for right now. I'm not sure how bad the, the back injury is and, and how much it's scaring off teams, but it's a very bizarre situation. It kind of reminds me of what Cody Franson went through a few years ago. And of course, I find a way to bring up Cody Franson on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I know when he, he turned down a long-term extension with Toronto a few years ago, it was uh, I want to say it was like a five-year deal for $4.5 million or something like that. He turned it down, thought he could get more in free agency. The calls didn't come in the first week of free agency. They didn't come in the second week of free agency. And then in August, he needed to settle for a two-year deal around $3 million with Buffalo. I'm wondering if we see something like that with Jake Gardner, where he has to take less than he was expecting to get. He has to take less term than he was expecting to get. But it's better than just settling for one of those one-year, $1 million kind of contracts. So I don't know. It's a very interesting situation. And I think whichever team takes a, a bet on him is going to end up with a very good player. Because even if he isn't as mobile as he was last year, his passing ability out of the defensive zone to get you up the ice and out of the defensive zone, is, I think, is a very valuable aspect in the modern game. Absolutely. And that's exactly why I, I hope the Habs would have at least extended an offer, right? And it kind of feels like now it's to the point where teams know that he's maybe holding out for a deal he's not going to get. So try and get him as cheap as possible and lowball a guy and see what he decides later on, maybe. But anyway, so moving from one guy who hasn't been paid yet to a guy who definitely got paid in Jacob Truba. Um, now, this is an interesting thing for me with the Rangers, who seem to have made this miraculous turnaround all of a sudden, at least in the eyes of the general population. Um, but with Truba in particular, you know, I think Evan and I both agree that we really like this deal for the Rangers. And yet I'm seeing people on Twitter kind of going crazy over it, Rangers fans included, saying it's a terrible deal. Um, what do you think about the term, the money he got? Um, you know, is he a top pairing guy? Does this make sense? So it kind of reminds me of the Austin Matthews contract in a weird way, not in that he's the same tier of players as Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is probably going to be the second best player in the world within a few years, or at least top five. Jacob Trouba is more of a top-pairing defenseman, and I think that this contract is a bit high on the uh, when it comes to the comparables who put up similar point totals, similar minutes, similar kind of impact on the game at 5-on-5. Five five. Right. But if you're going to overpay for a kind of player, you should overpay for a guy in the prime of his career who is going to fill a position in need, who's really a star kind of talent. And I think that Jacob Truba can be a, a number one defenseman who eats big minutes. It sounds like they're going to try him on the top unit power play. Personally, I'm the, of, of the opinion that the defenseman on a top unit power play isn't that valuable of a role. I think that hmm. the quarterback along the wall is a much more important attribute, which is what Artemi Panarin's going to be for them. But with Jacob Truba, let's say that he should get $7 million and you signed him for $8 million. That's a $1 million overpay in theory relative to the market. You never want to overpay a player. But if you are going to overpay a player, why not a number one defenseman? Why not a number one center? The, the biggest problem contracts we see tend to be on the lower end, you know, signing players in a second line role and a third line role to $2 million more than they're worth, $3 million more than they're worth. So there's an interesting argument to be made that star talent in the NHL is hard to come by and that if you can acquire it, you should do everything you can to hold on to it and then fill in the margins with very cheap entry-level contract, PTOs, $1 million players in free agency, the bargain bin guys, kind of like the Nick Shores, the Kenny Augustinos of the world. So I understand it from New York's perspective. I know Shayna on Twitter had an excellent article about it at The Athletic and I think that if you're going to acquire star talent and you have to pay a bit of a premium to hold on to it, 
it makes sense in the long run because those guys tend to be underpaid in the long run. So if you're overpaying relative to the market by one million, you're probably still underpaying relative to what the player is actually worth worth from a true on ice value perspective so i think truba is going to be worth that contract i think the rangers are going to be happy with this production but i do understand the argument that relative to the market i think it's a bit of an overpay i think seven or seven and a half would have been a bit more realistic based on his comps nick sort of mentioned it and i want to get your take on it um the turnaround of the new york rangers has been like stunning honestly uh obviously <laughs> they're they're New York, so they they have an inherent advantage of being New York. So guys like Artemi Panarin, who I mean they didn't really do anything special to land him. They're just New York, but I mean they still got the guy. But you look at some of the some of the moves they made, like getting Adam Fox, and obviously they they're gonna get Caco Capo or Capo Caco, sorry, and just some of the other guys that they have, like. The, their past year and a half has been honestly incredible. I'm just curious as to if you see them as a playoff team this year and just in general, like your thoughts on a very quick and probably successful at this point rebuild. I think if they can get league average goaltending, which is a question mark and, you know, goaltending is voodoo and it's so volatile from year to year when it comes to save percentage. But if they get league average goaltending, I do think this is a playoff team. I absolutely love the talent on their roster. I'm going to go through their top nine right now. Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Pavel Buknevich. I really like those top three. Chris Kreider, Ryan Strom, Kapokako. I don't like Ryan Strom as my second-line center, but I have a feeling that Philip Heatel might work his way up there throughout mm. the year. A bunch of young, dynamic talent on this team. Uh, you got Nemestikov on the third line. Vitaly Kravtsov has been awesome in Russia for the past few years. I think he's going to do really well. Lias Anderson, the, the guy who threw his silver medal into the stands from the, the World Juniors, actually a very talented hockey player who I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. And then you look at the defense, Jacob Trouba on the top pairing with Brady Shea, I like that. Kevin Shattenkirk, I think, in a second pairing role will be much more effective than he was in a top pairing role. Anthony D'Angelo, even though I don't think he's the, the greatest human being in the world, he's a phenomenal puck mover. And Adam Fox, I can't wait to see what he does at the NHL level. So you just you have all this talent that just almost came out of nowhere because you look at this roster last year, the year before, they didn't have much. And you're thinking, oh, I don't really like the direction this team's going in. But they were able to acquire all these young assets, acquire some extra draft picks that allowed them to pick guys like Vitaly Kravtsov. You're absolutely right in that being the New York Rangers is a big part of the reason they were able to get Adam Fox. They were able to get Jacob Truba. They were able to get Artemi Panarin. Much like the LA Lakers, players just want to go to their team. Do we give the Lakers credit for landing LeBron James? Maybe a little bit, but if they were in you know, Milwaukee or if they were in Toronto, LeBron wouldn't have gone there. So it's, it's a similar situation with Panarin. But unlike the Lakers, New York's actually drafted really well and developed their young talent and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do next year. I think they're going to be my favorite team to watch outside of, you know, the team that I watch the most, the Maple Leafs. I mean, Tampa Bay is always fun to watch, but I feel like I've seen it for a few years years now. I know how the Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman power play works. I'm not sure how all this young talent's going to work in New York. I don't know what the top unit power play looks like. I don't know what the pairings look like. I don't know what the lines look like. I just know that there's a lot of young, speedy, skilled talent on this roster, and I can't wait to see it on the ice. And it kind of feels like they may not be done either, right? Because they you didn't even mention uh, Mark Stahl and Brendan Smith, who at this point they're you know they're not really worth mentioning, maybe. But I feel like you could find a team that maybe has an injury that could trade for one of these guys, and next thing you know, they've even acquired more draft capital, maybe another young player. Who knows, right? 
Yeah, and I'm looking at the roster right now, and again, the biggest hole looks like second-line center, but if they're making a playoff push and there's a center who's available at the deadline, that's something that you can easily trade for. We've seen it in years past where whether it's the Winnipeg Jets acquiring Paul Statsny, we see trades like this to fill in holes in your roster. So I think if they're making a competitive playoff push, I think that there'll be buyers at the deadline to try to address some of the holes in their roster. Maybe goaltending. If Henrik Lundqvist's mm. game, if, if his game isn't what it quite was, if Alexander Georgiev isn't the same goalie he is when he faces the Toronto Maple Leafs, then, then maybe you acquire a goaltender at the deadline. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they do because, again, it's just this infusion of young talent. It kind of reminds me of the Toronto Maple Leafs when Matthews and Marner and Nylander all joined the team. We have Kapokako, Vitaly Kravtsov. I mean, Philip Hietl's going to take a step forward. Anderson, Adam Fox has been destroying college hockey for the last few years. I can't wait to see what he does at the NHL level. And none of these guys have played with each other before, so it's going to be new and yeah. it's going to be fresh. I'm a hockey, I'm a hockey fan before a Leafs fan, so th- this is just so much fun to me. I can't wait. One guy I didn't even mention either is Brett Howden, and like I watched him a lot last year. Or, I mean, a lot being maybe five or six games, but he's a really good player too. He's only 21, um, and he's penciled in to be their fourth line center. Like it's just nuts how much it, talent yeah. they have now. You forgot to mention Greg McKegg. <laughs> oh, sorry. You, you had to know that one was coming. Come on. Zach come Hyman. He's traded for Zach Hyman. Was he on the uh, Carolina Hurricanes last year? He was. Uh, he scored. Yeah. Uh, Playoff I, did hero. He, did he score a big goal? I feel like he did. I can't remember, though. I blocked that out of my mind. And I need to tell you, we no basketball talk on this hockey. This is my safe space from thinking about Kawhi Leonard. I think about him all day, every day, and how sad I am that he's gone. So, please. For future reference, no more. <laughs> I'm begging you. I have a Kawhi Leonard jersey sitting uh, up right behind me right now in my room. And uh, don't be mad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. Isn't that a, a Dr. Seuss quote or something like that? Yeah, I think that's uh, someone's Facebook profile picture from like 2010 or something. Um, yeah. That- okay, no more basketball. Okay, next thing we want to get to here. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the Alex Nylander for Henry Yokiharu trade. Uh, Normally, like, I don't think this isn't, this definitely isn't one of the headlines of the summer, but to me, it's just so weird in general. And then it's even weirder considering Chicago passing on Byram and then trading, arguably, like, I mean, Eric Gustafson's their their best defenseman, but Yoki Haru had a really sheltered but good season last year. Like, what, do you have an explanation for this? Do you think Alex Nylander could be like a, Dylan Strom type fit for them I I just I don't understand it um yeah it's a tricky situation my best uh guess is that they weren't as high on Henry Okaharu as a lot of us are we see him as this excellent puck moving defenseman who's 19 years old and was able to play at the NHL level I guess they saw him as someone who was soft and, you know, wasn't ever going to play in a top four. Personally, I think he can play in a top four as early as next year. I really like him. Whereas Alex Nylander, I don't want to call him a bust because I'm not even sure if he's turned 20 yet, but he hasn't shown the kind of flashes that we would like to see from a player that was selected in the top 10. I think they might have moved him to the AHL too young. I think when they put him in there at 18 years old, he wasn't ready. I think he could have really um, thrived in the OHL. He could have really used an extra year to dominate the OHL for one more year, work on his skating, you know, truly take over at five on five. 
Because, I mean, if you look at his numbers in the OHL and his draft year, the power play numbers were phenomenal. The five-on-five numbers were questionable. And that's kind of been the theme with him, even if you look at his AHL career. They give him tons of power play minutes, and that's where he he puts up his points. But at five-on-five, he's not driving play. He's not generating offense. He doesn't have the same kind of speed as his brother, William Nylander. So... I don't know. I don't I don't want to call this a, an absolute win for Buffalo because there's still a chance that Alex Nylander finds a way to turn things around, but it's not looking good right now. And I'm a huge fan of Henry Yokoharu. So it's uh, it's one of those trades that everyone kind of agreed like unanimously on Twitter that like, yep, like Buffalo won this trade. I don't know what Chicago's thinking. I keep trying to put myself in their shoes to try to figure it out, but it's uh, it's tough. Yeah, full agreement from us, I think, on that. It's just one of those, like you said, head scratchers. I i don't know. But um, another head scratcher, actually, for me a little bit was uh, the Furland signing, Michael Furland signing in Vancouver. And it wasn't so much the player himself and Furland and the contract and all that, but really the vision for the Canucks and where they're headed with all of that. Because, you know, as we know, they signed a few similar deals last year with uh, Jay Beagle, who are the guys, Antoine Roussel. Um, you know, this kind of feels like a similar contract, but like a slightly better player. Um, I mean, do you have any take on the Canucks and, you know, why they would make a deal like this when they're kind of cap-strapped and can't sign their RFAs at this point? So this is the weird part with Michael Ferland, is that if he signed this contract with Carolina or if he signed this contract with... Uh, Colorado, Buffalo, we'd probably like the signing. We'd say, okay, this right. is a player who can can provide 20-plus goals. He provides that element that's hard to measure statistically, but in a playoff series, you know, his, his grit and his tenacity is something that does have some value. And on a team like Toronto, you know, they could use a bit of that. As much as I love Toronto's speed and skill, a Michael Furland would fill it in really well with their roster. They don't have the cap space to afford him, but you know what I mean. He's, a, he's the kind of guy that you value. The hard part with Vancouver, I think, it's not so much the AAV because I think $3.5 million is about fair for the, the type of value that Furland's going to provide. It's the term for me because two years from now in 2021, in the summer of 2021, both Jack, sorry, not Jack Hughes, both Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson are going to be due for their big paydays. I was talking about this with Harmon Dial, who's one of my favorites in Vancouver. We were trying to estimate how much do those two get combined on their next contracts. I think oh my God. Patterson gets it. I think he gets around $10 million, and yep. I think Quinn Hughes probably gets $7 million. Depends how good he, he looks on the, in these next two years. But I think those two are going to command a lot of salary. And you already have Antoine Roussel making $3 million that year. Jay Beagle making $3 million that year. Tyler Myers making $6 million that year. This is the problem with Vancouver's team-building philosophy. It's not that they paid players in free agency because if they gave a defenseman a two-year deal or if they gave a forward like Michael Ferland a two-year deal, I would completely understand it. It helps you in the short term kind of build towards making the playoffs. And then when it's time to pay your superstar young players, you have tons of cap flexibility that offseason. They've kind of tied their hands now in, in, in a couple of years from now with these contracts. It's going to be harder, harder to move a Michael Furland two years from now when he's not as effective. It's going to be very difficult to move Tyler Myers when I think he, he proves to not be what they think he is, what they're paying him for. And two years from now, he's still going to have three years left on that deal at $6 million. So for me, it's not necessarily the AAV and the types of players they brought in, because I think on a shorter term deal, I can understand the reasoning behind it, but it's the term. It's that third and fourth year that I think is really going to hurt them. And I like the signing for Michael Furland. I just don't like it for this team and their situation. 
Yeah, Vancouver and Nick and I have talked about it a bunch. Jim Benning is he he just makes no sense. I mean, the only explanation for what they've done, giving up assets to take on JT Miller. And again, not that JT Miller's a bad player. He's not a bad player, but to give up assets to take on a, a salary dump essentially is what Van- is what uh, Tampa made him out to be. And then uh, the only explanation for what they've done is that Jim Benning considers them a, a contender. Yeah. And granted, the Pacific is terrible. Sure. But like, is there any way that you see this team as it currently is? And it looks like they're trying to get rid of Louis Erickson. They still have to find Brock Besser, who uh, can't be offer sheeted, but is still going to be owed a decent amount of money. Like, is there any way if if they get Besser under contract and maybe they make some minor moves, can they make the playoffs potentially? Because I don't see it, and I don't see how anyone could. So basically the route to them making the playoffs this year is Ilias Pedersen takes a step forward. I know that he kind of had an unsustainable shooting percentage last year, but I'm talking he starts driving play really well. And, you know, his zone exits and zone entries, he has some Nathan McKinnon-esque way of driving the puck up the ice, which he has the talent to do, in my opinion. And he looks phenomenal on the power play and scores a bunch of goals with that wicked one-timer. In my opinion, it might be the best left-handed one-timer from the right dot in the NHL. It's that good. So maybe he takes a step forward and Quinn Hughes steps into the league and is a legitimate number one defenseman from day one. Thatcher Demko is a legitimate starting goalie and they squeak into the seventh or eighth seed. That, that I think is the, is the route to the playoffs for them. I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility, especially considering what we've seen from teams like Vegas in the past few years, but it's definitely unlikely. I'm going to do something crazy right now. I'm going to defend Jim Benning. And it's not that I think that he's made smart moves for the long term, but I think that ownership has put him in a terrible situation, especially in the past. They keep, insisting that this team needs to contend this team needs to win right now and that's why when they should have been rebuilding a few years ago they were making these buy now moves they were trading away assets at the deadline or they were trading away future assets for current wins when they were clearly not a contender right now Jim Benning clearly is basically the way I see it is he's been told that if he doesn't make the playoffs this season he's fired so he signs Tyler Myers to a long-term deal because he doesn't care about year two three four or five he wants to win this year he doesn't care if Michael Furland hurts his cap three years from now because he wants to win right now that's the Antoine Roussel Jay Beagle problem if you set your general manager up for that kind of situation, you should expect them to act out of show, out of self-interest, and you should expect them to act in short-term interests that aren't going to help the long-term benefit of your team. So at the end of the day, as much as we want to make fun of Jim Benning, how much of this is really his fault? Because I feel like if we were in a similar situation where our livelihood depended on our, on our team making the playoffs next year, we would also jeopardize the future to try to help ourselves in the short term. So I think it's a, a bigger problem that stems from ownership, in my opinion. And, and I think we see this with a lot of teams around the NHL, where if you're told that you need to win and you need to compete next season when you're probably not ready to, it leads to some bad decisions that really come back to bite in the ass. Extremely woke take from Ian Tulloch on the Two Goons podcast. You know what, though? <laughs> it's it's completely fair. Oh, and... totally. And no one says that. They always are so quick to jump on Jim Benning. And you know what? Like, I don't know. I can't remember if we mentioned like the drafting they've been doing recently as well, which has been pretty well, good, that, right? Yeah, like, that's what it, I was gonna say. Yeah, I mean, outside. I of love the... their past draft. Uh, Pud Colson slipped yeah, them at ten. Yeah, they yeah. got that that Swedish player that I, uh, Nils Hoglander in the second round. 
Yeah, and like, and who's to say that Paul Colson doesn't come into the league? Um, like, I don't know him that much about him, but like, could he jump in maybe two years from now or a year from now? I don't know. I mean, if, if that happens and he suddenly is one of these, you know, phenoms at the drop to what was the 10th overall pick, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, this team kind of is sort of built that way where like if you know like you said if you were going to try and make the playoffs you would just blow the cap and try and just sign a bunch of guys and make it happen right i mean it's what we all do in uh, nhl 19 right and then we trade them oh, away yeah. well, a year later <laughs> absolutely you know what i uh <laughs> have you ever heard of east side hockey manager Ooh, that's like the the football manager yeah. thing, but for hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> so I started playing it, and I've been trying to trade Nikita Zaitsev for no joke, like four months, and no one will bite. I've been including picks. I've gone. Uh, I've included like two second round picks. No one will take him. No, so, no Pierre try, Dorian like, in that game. Five hundred thousand of his salary, or like a million of his salary. <laughs> no, I refuse. That might be what it takes. I, I refuse to retain salary. That's my number one rule. I won't be one <laughs> of those guys. Hashtag no salary retained. I like it. Yes. I like the way you think. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. He was the one who told me to play that game. No joke. Really? Yeah. Oh, like no, at no salary yeah, retained at, on Twitter. At no salary retained. <laughs> Thomas Williams, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, yeah, from Hosers. Yeah, that's he's a good awesome. guy. I like him. Yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, let's move on here to oh. Yes, arguably the funniest move that we're going to see easily this year, maybe for the next half decade. <laughs> so, <laughs> Milan Lucic and James Neal. So, the, the Lucic contract was an absolute disaster from the second it was signed. This isn't some revisionist theory bullshit. Like, I think anyone with a brain, Nick, you were in this group too. We have the receipts. Uh, that was a disaster. The Neal contract, I didn't see going this way obviously things didn't happen the way they were supposed to happen in calgary um anyways they get traded for each other basically the salaries even with uh, i think what edmonton retained what 12 percent or whatever it was um seems to me that edmonton got the the better end of the deal here i mean uh i don't know if you want to go in or if you know about the buyout implications of uh neil going to Edmonton, but even from just a contract perspective, it seems like they win. And it seems like if you put James Neal with either McDavid or Nugent Hopkins, he's probably an automatic 20 goals. So uh, I just want to get your take on this deal and who you think uh, came out on top. Yeah, I think James Neal is more salvageable in that he still has his shot, which you can combine with Connor McDavid's playmaking ability or Leon Dreisaitl, I think, is one of the best passers in the NHL, too. So even if James Neal is on a second line with Leon Dreisaitl and then in the slot on the power play, I bet you he can pot 20 goals next year. Oh, so yeah. there's that there's that awesome condition on the trade where if James Neal scores 21 goals or more and Milan Lucic scores less than 10 then Edmonton has to give Calgary uh, a third. Or no, yeah, then Edmonton yeah. has to give Calgary a third round pick. Was it First of all, that's, that's that. was objectively hilarious. That's was it less than that, 10? We need more of that in the NHL. <laughs> no, it, it was he has to score more 11 or more goals than Lucic, right? right. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Sorry, yeah. sorry to cut you off. I just didn't know that. Yeah, it's insanely specific. I love that, though. So that's like got to be the weirdest clause Condition? of yeah. air condition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember when the James Neal contract was signed in Calgary. I saw a lot of Flames fans who were really happy about it. And it's funny because I didn't think it was that great of a deal. I thought it was really going to hurt them in years three, four, and five. I didn't think it would hurt them in year one. 
Like, I, I did not see that kind of, yeah. you know, quick regression coming where he just all of a sudden falls off a cliff. It almost reminds me of what happened to Andrew Ladd in the New York, in New York Islanders when he was signed there. You're thinking, ooh, I, I don't know about this contract. You know, the back half of it doesn't look good. But then after year one, it looks terrible. You're just thinking, oh, man, this is... This is why you don't sign guys on the wrong side of 30. It just it leads to a lot of bad problems. And it's funny with age curves because the the trend with age curves, it's that on average, players will drop off around 30, around 31, around 32. But it's there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's, it's not that every player drops off a little bit at 29 and a little bit at 30 and a little bit at 31. A lot of the times, it's a player just falls off a cliff after 29 and doesn't have it. Or a player falls off a cliff at 31 and doesn't have it anymore. Unfortunately, we saw James Neal kind of fall off that proverbial cliff, cliff last season. I still think there's a, a way for him to generate more offense alongside some better playmakers. But it's worth noting that he wasn't driving play well. He wasn't generating shots at a high rate as, as he was in years past. So it's not that this was just a low shooting percentage year from James Neal, which it was. And I think that will regress upwards. But this isn't a slam dunk win for Edmonton because there's a chance that James Neal is also a player that you just don't want in your team. It's, it's interesting you mentioned the underlying numbers. I, I was interested to hear that because, you know... It, it, it was such a steep cliff, right? Like the guy hadn't scored less than twenty goals since like the twenty ten season or whatever. Um, you know, he he's coming off back to back years where he goes to cup finals, right? So he's played a lot of hockey, um, and then he kind of gets pushed down the lineup. I mean, you don't happen to know who his com- most common line line mates were, do you? Because I know that he kind of got pushed I can, down. I can quickly look that up. Yeah, because yeah. like you know, he he was. Uh, I don't think they really thought that Elias Lindholm was going to step in and be, you know, the the player that he was, and it kind of felt like it was just this maybe set of circumstances where he had played so much hockey, he goes to a new team, he gets pushed down the lineup, the coach hates him, nothing lines up, and suddenly you've got seven goals in sixty three games. So I, I, I interesting to hear though that he you know wasn't driving play and stuff because. I've always wondered whether it was re- truly, uh, you know, this guy just hit 31 and went off a cliff or if it was just an aberration of a season and he could just bounce right back. So his most common line mates were Mark Jankowski and Sam Bennett. So that's obviously not a, a great situation for success. But he also spent some time with Michael Backlund, Derek mm-hmm. Ryan, got some time with Johnny Gaudreau. And I guess they just stopped that right away because yeah. it wasn't working well. Got some time with Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monahan again. Not a long time because I guess it just wasn't working out as, as, as well as they wanted it to. I, I've heard from a few smart people in Calgary that he was their worst regular forward last year. That Jesus. it was almost a Patrick Marlowe situation where it's just, Jeez. man, I don't know what happened to James Neal in the last year, but he just doesn't have it anymore. I want to say he was a healthy scratch at one point in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's a chance that things turn around in Edmonton and he becomes a 20-goal scorer again. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who drives play now that he's on the wrong side of 30, and that yeah. seems to have tailed off. But if he can provide a bit of offensive value and pot 20 goals, that's exactly what Edmonton needs. They have everything else. They have McDavid. They have Drysaddle. If they can have the winger depth that allows them to put Ryan Nugent Hopkins at third line center, it doesn't sound like they're actually going to do that, but they just need some guys who can put the puck in the net, and James Neal can do that for them. So I think it's a bit more salvageable in that regard. Milan Lucic, I just, I'm not sure what, what kind of positive value he can even provide at this There's point. There's just no upside. Outside, right? of, yeah, outside of like the, the, the Tom Wilson-esque toughness, but Tom Wilson's a very good hockey player. We don't talk about that enough. He's... He can score a lot of goals. He can win puck battles. Milan Lucic is just kind of a... He's like a fourth-line grinder at this point. Yeah. Um, it's funny how with Edmonton, uh, we've gone from 
Ty Ratty is going to outscore Austin Matthews by 50 goals to uh, <laughs> can <laughs> can do will they have anyone to score other than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? Uh Yeah, Lucic, I can't imagine will have any sort of positive value at all with Calgary. I've obviously there's the takes that he's going to be there to be their enforcer and whatever. I think all three of us are sort of under the same uh, thought wave or whatever that that role sort of out of hockey so yeah i i also really struggle to see this from from calgary's the value from calgary's perspective and the contract i i have to i haven't looked it up but uh, i was reading before that it's it's much more beneficial to buy out james neal's contract structure than it is in lucic's so again yeah, lucic's is buyout proof like yeah, buying it out doesn't all, uh, give you any benefit really. bonuses, yeah. yeah fuck that's tough yeah uh all right nick you want to lead us into our next topic here Yes, so um, so we lead from maybe the funniest trade, maybe to uh, maybe the biggest trade at least you know since uh, July first came around, which was Tyson Berry for Nazem Kadri plus plus plus. Um, obviously, a very interesting trade from so many angles. I mean, two teams like really poised to make deep runs. Um, you know, longtime stalwart and Kadri. Uh, you know the Leafs upgrading the right side of their defense. You know there's so many angles here. Uh, what are your thoughts on? You know we mentioned Kerfoot earlier. Um, I'd like to hear some background maybe about what you think his like how he'll do in a third line role. I guess that's really what you said said earlier, right? The question is, can he actually replace Kadri in that production? And that's the thing. I don't think you're, he's ever going to replace Nazem Kadri because I think yeah. Nazem Kadri is is still one of the more underrated players in the NHL. Even last year when his production fell off a little bit, he was able to drive play at 5-on-5 five five with Connor Brown on his wing, with Patrick Marlowe on his wing. There was one point where Par Lindholm, Nazem Kadri, Connor Brown was the third line for oh. Toronto. And they were dominating shots and scoring chances because Nazem Kadri can be a line himself. I mean, we saw him, Leo Komarov and Connor Brown against tough competition with tough D-zone starts in 2016-2017. Uh, and they came out on top in the shot differential battle and the scoring chance differential battle. Kadri's so good at driving play. The offense might not be quite what it once was. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a 60-point player again, but he's such a good play driver. I, I love him on Colorado and their second line there. Oh, They've yeah. desperately needed anyone, really, to play on the second or third line behind that Nathan McKinnon line. So they've added Kadri. They added Junis Donskoy. They added Andre Burakovsky. I've loved a lot of Colorado's moves this offseason. And obviously, the trading Tyson Berry, they're betting on their defense improving with Kel McCarr next year. They have Connor Timmons coming up. Samuel Girard probably takes a big step forward. I, I love their blue line. Lots of speedy puck movers there. Oh, not to mention Bo Bowen Byram. I'm not sure if he makes the team out of camp, but I got to think next year, Bowen Byram's a part of the team. I love how, how young and dynamic their blue line is. But looking at this from the Leafs perspective, the, the way that I've heard um, people describe it, I think Arvind from Pension Plan Puppets described it the best way. If Kerfoot can provide 80% of Nazem Kadri's value for 75% of the price, then this is going to be a good deal for Toronto because you're getting an asset that can help you in the third line and will basically force the coach to play Austin Matthews and John Tavares more minutes because now that you don't have someone like Nazem Kadri down there, you got to top load your top six. You better give them more minutes now. And that's going to be another discussion later in the season if it doesn't happen. And it's always fun talking about Mike Babcock and, and minute allocation. Yeah, let's not, let's not do that. Uh, game seven, Austin Matthews, 18 minutes. Uh, Frederick Gauthier, uh, Patrick Marlowe. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, but <laughs> Tyson Berry on the right side of Toronto's defense. It's an interesting trade in that 
Tyson Berry uh, is only at half of his salary right now. Colorado's eating half of it. So for $2.7 million, Tyson Berry is a ridiculous asset. Oh, yeah. That's really going to help them this year. Tyson Berry at seven and a half or eight million dollars is arguably not an asset that you might want on your team for six or seven years. So to me, this feels like a, a big time bet for one year for Toronto that they're they're really going to improve their chances of winning. And then if they do re-sign Tyson Berry, it's going to lead to them losing players somewhere else. They're, they won't be able to re-sign Jake Muzzin. Maybe they have to trade off another winger like a Zach Hyman. We'll see. But the way I see this is if Alexander Kerfoot can play third-line center, which is yet to be seen. He hasn't played center for a full season yet, but I love his puck-moving ability. I love his puck-transporting ability. I love his passing ability, and he's never got to play with, with any great finishers. So putting him on a third line with Kasper Kapanen, with how fast those players are, maybe you throw Trevor Moore on the left wing or someone like Andreas Janssen, and you have one of the fastest lines in hockey, I think you can do a lot of fun stuff on the counterattack. I think that there can be a lot of odd-man rushes. You can be frustrating on the forecheck and the back check so you, you can clearly tell that i'm high on kerfoot i think he will be able to fill that third line center role for toronto and i haven't even mentioned the biggest part of the trade yet which is the fact that tyson berry is going to provide huge value on the right side for toronto we were working it out we we're trying to think who's the the last right-handed defenseman on toronto who was better than tyson berry and i think you have to go back before the the 2004 lockout like it's just there hasn't really been anyone they've the the, the right-handed defensemen on toronto have been pretty brutal over the last few years i think cody franson's the the closest thing we have and, and i'd argue that tyson berry is much better than cody franson so it's uh, debatable berry's an interesting guy he's interesting <laughs> in that berry berry's analytics his 5 on 5 shot metrics aren't what you'd think they'd be for a player with his reputation but I, I kind of did a deep dive on this, looking into his ability to outperform his shot metrics because of how phenomenal of a shooter he is. And he has a tendency to create lots of cross-ice passes in the offensive zone. We call them royal road passes in the analytics community. Uh, Behind-the-net passes, you know, passes off the rush, uh, joining three-on-twos a lot of the time. I think that helps his team sustain a higher shooting percentage when he's on the ice. And when he played with Nathan McKinnon, those two were more than the sum of their parts. Uh, fun fact, when Nathan McKinnon played without Tyson Bear, he got outshot at five on five. That wow. sounds insane that to does. say it out loud. He's like, no, that's not possible. But him and Tyson Berry were so dominant when they were on the ice together because it's one of those things where it's it's basically chemistry. It's that when you put two things together that work so well together, Nathan McKinnon's speed and ability to create space off the rush and Tyson's, Tyson Berry's ability to jump up into the rush and take advantage of that space. I think that's part of the reason it works so well, and that's why I think it's going to work really well with uh, Mitch Marner and John Tavares. Or think of when William Nylander gets that zone entry, stops, pulls up, and looks for a pass back into the slot. It's not going to be Nikita Zaitsev and Ron Hainsey there. It's going to be Tyson Berry there who's jumping up into the play. So I think that's going to result in a lot of offense for Toronto. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they lead the league in goals for but I also wouldn't be shocked if they're close to the league worst in goals against because Tyson Berry, much like Morgan Riley, gives up a lot defensively. So I still think he's a net positive. I think he's going to fit in well with this team. And the fact that Toronto finally has a puck mover on the right side is going to make them a lot harder to game plan against in the playoffs. We've seen the last few years 
where it's very easy. You game plan against their left-handed defenseman, force them to move it to the right side defenseman, and then Hainsey and Zaitsev are trying to make breakout passes, and that doesn't work very well. Now that you have Tyson Berry, who's going to be able to move the puck, it's going to give Morgan Riley a bit more freedom to, to move the puck out. Or maybe if he plays with Jake Muzzin, it's going to give Jake Muzzin a lot more room to break the puck out. So I like this trade for Toronto. I love it for Colorado because I think Nazem Kadri at $4.5 million for the next three years is one of the better assets of the NHL. So I do, I do think it's truly a win-win trade for both teams, but I don't think we're talking enough about how much that depends on Alexander Crowfoot filling that third line center role, because I think he's going to need to do that for this to be a win for Toronto. And I will plug your work here. Uh, you wrote a really amazing article on Kerfoot. That was actually super interesting. I had no idea the dude just did not shoot. The guy, he's allergic to taking shots. It's incredible, uh, at least based on what It's you're... almost Jeremy Bracco-esque. He refuses to ever shoot. Yeah, and is an incredible passer from the looks of it. So it's going to be uh, pretty interesting to see what he does. Um, is Tyson Berry better than Jake Gardner? I'm going to go out and say no, but I'm going to say that Tyson Berry is a better right-side defenseman than Jake Gardner playing the left side and you forcing yourself to move a player like Riley over to the right side. Does that kind of make sense? In that when you move a left-handed player to his wrong side, there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. Whereas Tyson Berry on his right side allows you to still play Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley on their strong side. So I think Toronto's defense will be better with Tyson Berry Mm -hmm than it would be had you allocated that same money to Jake Gardner. Even though I think in a, in a vacuum, I think a healthy Jake Gardner is better than Tyson Berry, but I think Tyson Berry is a better fit on this roster because of his handedness. So the other part of this trade, too, I found interesting was that reportedly Nazem Kadri nixed a trade to Calgary um, that would have brought back TJ Brody and Mark Jankowski in return for Nazem. Um, uh, to me, it kind I of. I also heard like... a rumor that the Winnipeg might have been involved in a three-way trade, and they might have been sending a, a center Toronto's way. So uh, I'm not sure what the details were of that trade. Would have been interesting. It would have, yeah, because oh, mean... Jack Roslovic. Now that I, th- I didn't hear that before, but that sounds. Is he a center? I think he is. It, it could have been him. It could have yeah. been someone like Adam Lowry. So it's tough uh, to know who it would have been. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I mean, doesn't it? Because on the surface, it never really made a lot of sense to me that that's a trade that Dubis would be seeking out would be to acquire Jankowski and Brody. Like, clear, uh, he he, I think we probably would all agree that Dubis was would be much happier with what they got from Colorado. Maybe he, but it's it's weird that you know that he even had to say no to the trade in Calgary if this trade in Colorado was already in place. I don't know. It must have been more there. Like, do you th- do you think that could you could you imagine if Mike Babcock had another left-handed defenseman that was acquired? What oh would his God. press conference be? <laughs> Wasn't happy with Jake Muzzin. Like, the I was so shocked when they got Jake Muzzin and Babcock didn't even bat an eye. He's just like, like he was just like, that's all you brought me. <laughs> it's incredible. I also saw some mean tweets about him on Twitter, not after the trade, but about a month after the trade when he made a bad pass in the defensive zone and it resulted in a goal. Some people were going, I'm, I'm not so sure about this Jake Muzzin trade. I'm of the opinion that he was Toronto's best defenseman last year, and I know that Morgan Riley put up a bunch of points, but when you look at the impact at 5-on-5 five five and the fact that with Nikita Zaitsev as his most common partner against tough competition... He did so well in those minutes. I, I'm a huge fan of Jake Muzzin. When I'm evaluating defensemen, I don't care as much about your power play points. I don't care as much about you know the ice time and plus minus. I, I, I care about are you driving play? Are you impacting the game in a positive way after adjusting for your line mates and adjusting for the competition? 
I think there's an argument to be made that Jake Muzzin was better in that regard than Morgan Riley last year, and I couldn't be happier with what he did, especially in the playoffs. And I think that's when people started to realize, oh my God, Jake Muzzin's really good. Well, I think it's it's always been this way, and and we've talked about Jake Gardner a ton already, but uh, people latch on to the obvious bad, right? And the the things that make great players like Muzzin effective really go unnoticed a lot of the time. And I, I agree with you. I had no problem with Jake Muzzin. I know he made, you know, some Jake Muzzin-esque plays and, and most high, and I'm sure Barry's going to do the same. And if Gardner comes back, he, or if Gardner was still on the team, he would do the same. Um, but it's sort of a boomer bust with those guys. And a lot of the time it's, you're getting a, a large net positive. So that's just the way it's always going to be. Um, a lot of the non-analytics folk will never really come around to it, but that's just the way it is. It's frustrating, but whatever. Um, okay. Kevin LeBanc uh, and the R- we'll, we'll get to all the other RFAs. Uh, that was maybe the most shocking. I know Colton Sisson signed for seven years the other day and, and Brandon Tenev signed for six years, and there's been uh, some big contracts handed out. But Kevin LeBanc, one year, one mil, might be the most shocking and best value deal so far this offseason. Yeah, I, the only way I think that makes sense is if there's a, a, a wink-wink, nudge-nudge under the table kind of deal that they know that they're going to sign him to a longer-term deal. I'm not sure if it's December 1st or January 1st when you're first able to sign a player after having signed him, but I, I think that there's some kind of backroom deal going on here where they're agreeing to, to sign him to a lower cap hit this year with the understanding that there's going to be a higher cap hit there's a higher uh, AAV the year after, at least that's what I'm thinking, because otherwise this makes absolutely no sense. He scored 56 points this year. He was a 40 point player the year before. You just those guys go for, you know, well over three million on, on in restricted free agent market. I don't quite understand it. I'm sure that a lot of uh, players and agents were really frustrated over the signing because that's really going to mess with comparable players who are in a similar situation next year. So. I have to think there's some kind of backroom deal going on here because that was that was bizarre. I agree, and I think it's you know so much of it probably is just that San Jose culture, the Joe Thornton effect, if you will, right? Like I, that's sort of what I always thought was just like, hey, we'll help us get under the cap here to start the year, and as soon as we can, we'll give you that extension or whatever it is. But um, how how much do you think that he would have gotten or that he should have gotten? You know, three, three and a half, something like that. I was going to say three years by three and a half, yeah. I think, is about market value. It's what we've seen guys like, you know, Andreas Janssen, Kerfoot, Kapanen, that that kind of tier of player go for that. So that that's roughly where I had him. I know that's where Evolving Wild, they do their salary um, predictions based on a lot of math that I'm not smart enough to understand. But that's where they had him roughly in that three million, sorry, three year, three and a half million dollar range. That's what I think a lot of us expected. So when we saw the one year, $1 million on our phones, when we, we scrolled through Twitter, we were all just kind of like, what? It was, it was our same reaction to the David Clarkson trade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And you're right. The Evolving Wild had him at 3.6 over three years. So yep. there, you, there must be some sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge deal going on there. But I mean, I at least you hope there is, because otherwise, yeah. like, man, I mean, poor Kevin LeBanc living in San Jose <laughs> off a million dollars is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> I don't know how much money he's going to be taking home at the end of the year. You know, I was going to say Logan Couture better pick up a bunch of those meals for these, these, yeah. these RFAs, man. <laughs> Honestly. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you some names here and I want you to place them in the tiers for me. Okay. Miko Rantanen, 
Sebastian Ajo. Sorry, not Sebastian. He signed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Habs. Miko Randon, Mitch Marner, <laughs> Braden Point, Matthew Kachuk. One through four, how would you rank them? Okay. Uh, I have Braden Point at the top. I think positional value, its ability to play center, puts him ahead of everyone else there. And then who else do we have? We have Marner, we have Rantanen, and we have Brady Kachuk. Matthew, yes. Well, yeah, Kachuk. Ma- I oh, know, sorry, I know, Matthew, I know Matthew, Matthew Kachuk. Matthew. I know sorry. Matthew Kachuk. Sorry. Brady Kachuk's on Ottawa. Too many Kachuks in this league. I always, it's, I always get the Svechnikovs messed up, too. And it's funny, because Evgeny's not even that yeah. good. Well, there's but, one good one and one bad one. It's like me with the Stroms. Yeah, all I need to remember is Andre, and I, and I can't even remember that. So. <laughs> Too many brothers in this league. Yeah. I I think Marner is better than Miko Rantanen. I think Miko Rantanen is not as good of a play driver. I don't think he's able to create plays for his teammates. I think he's an excellent finisher, an incredible weapon on the power play, and alongside McKinnon, he's going to be a guy who I think can put up 90-plus points, which is very difficult to do, but he's done it in back-to-back seasons now. I think it's fair to say this might be the player he is. Mitch Marner doesn't show up well in the uh, some of the analytics, some of the uh, like Evolving Wilds RAPM metric. Doesn't love Mitch Marner, but I think it misses some of the things he does do in his, uh, his zone entry ability, in his ability to create cross-seam passes in the offensive zone. Look at how many tap-in goals John Tavares scored this year. Where if we, I love expected goals. What do you think the expected shooting percentage would be on, on some of those tap-ins that John Tavares had this year? Like 90%? <laughs> it's just he puts his line mates in an excellent position to finish and I think that's part of the reason that his line sustains such a high shooting percentage I know Tavares is obviously an incredible shooter but I mean even when he played with Tyler Bozak you you put him with anyone I think they're going to shoot at a higher percentage than they otherwise would and I think that that's something that Patrick Kane brings out in his line mates as well and I think they're very similar players in that regard so I put Mitch Marner to I think Miko Rantanen is going to get paid more than Matthew Kachuk but I would personally argue that Matthew Kachuk has a better impact on the game than Miko Rantanen does. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I think he's going to provide much better value on his contract because he obviously doesn't have the sexy point totals that Miko Rantanen has. But you look at his ability to impact the game, he's kind of like a, almost like a young Mark Stone. You know, he's just he's incredible at impacting the game at 5-on-5. Five five. I would go even hotter, which is my specialty. I would take Matthew Kachuk over Mitch Marner. I said it. I was debating I that. Said it. I was thinking about that. If you have a power play quarterback who can run a power play, if you have a Nikita Kucherov, I would argue that, yeah, you, you might prefer Matthew Kachuk on your team. But I think Mitch Marner's ability to quarterback a power play and make it a top five power play in the NHL, I think that has a crazy amount of value. Because you look at teams like Carolina who are dominant at five on five, but they can't figure out the power play. And that's part of the reason that they're not as successful. You look at Montreal, who people don't realize they were so good at five on five this year. They were incredible. But their power play just sucks. Terrible. So, I mean, that that's where you you really need a star player to help you on the power play. And that's where I think Mitch Marner provides a lot of value. But if you're a team who already has that, and in Calgary, you could argue that they do, and in player like Johnny Gaudreau, then, yeah, there's definitely an argument to be made that Matthew Kachuk's ability to impact the game at 5-on-5, five five, it's exceptional. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and make you predict. Um, will we see another situation similar to the William Nylander one? Maybe this ties into a bit to the Clarkson thing now. Uh, the Clarkson trade that you know added some potential LTIR cap space to the Leafs. Um, do you think we'll see another guy sit out? If so, which one of the guy, which one of these guys do you think is most likely? 
Okay, so who are the major unsigned RFAs right now? Because I know you're trying to get me to bite and say that it's going to be Marner. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say it's not going to be Marner. But I'm just thinking realistically that there's probably one who, who misses a month of NHL time. I, I think that this is a copycat league, and you see what happened with the Nylander negotiation. If you feel that a team is lowballing you, I think that realistically you can take it to December 1st and know that you're still going to get a good deal based on what happened with Nylander. So... I'm curious to look at this list and see if I can find a player that makes a lot of sense. D- do you have a name on the top uh, that, that, that that comes to mind for you? Uh, maybe Brock Besser has a lot of leverage in Vancouver. Mitch Marner. In that they, they, can't, they can't not sign him because they want to compete for the playoffs this year. So I think I think uh, of a I'm guy like Kyle Connor. Uh, I don't know if he'll, if he'll be the guy or not, obviously, but... It feels like... What about Patrick Lane? Yeah, I mean, either either guy in Winnipeg, right? Because, like, uh, I don't know... It, it, although reports are seem to be that Line A might prefer a bridge deal, which would obviously help the Jets with their cap situation, I, I mean, if they end up paying Line A long-term, they're obviously going to want to try and fit Connor underneath that his number, I'd imagine, and potentially under the other guys on their team who are, you know, some value contracts there with Shifley and Wheeler, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm Kyle Connor, I'm, I'm wanting a bigger contract than that. So that seems to me like that might be a player where the gap is pretty big between what he's asking and what he might actually get or what the team wants to pay him. But uh, I don't know. There's a few guys out there like ranted in. I feel like we'll, we'll get done. Kachuk apparently is real far yeah, from Kachuk getting done. Have, yeah. And uh, going back to Line a and Connor, I would almost rather, I, f- I feel like paying Connor is the safer bet at this point. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're not wrong. It's probably, it probably is the like safer if you, bet. If, yeah. if you had to sign one guy to a six year deal, who are you signing? If I'm, I'm signing Connor, if I if I'm trying to hit the hit a home run and get a guy who is like a potential game breaker superstar, it's Line A. Yeah. Right. But. Yeah. I I don't know. There's. Can I make a crazy argument here? Yeah. Yes, please. I know that everyone's saying, "Oh, you should bridge Line A because you know you're not sure what he is after last season." I feel like we can be pretty confident that he's one of the best shooters on the planet and that, you know, his first season he shot over 17%. His second season he shot over 18%. His third season he only shot 12%. I feel like that's going to regress upwards in the future. I feel like he's uh, very comparable to Ilya Kovalchuk in that he doesn't drive play that well, but his shot is just otherworldly. And like I was saying how Mitch Marner has incredible power play value, Patrick Lani's value in the power play is, is exceptional. I mean, it, it doesn't show up in the point totals, but teams are so terrified of his shooting ability that it leaves Mark Shifley wide open in the middle of the slot. And you should never leave Mark Shifley open in the middle of the slot, but you're so terrified of Patrick Lane from the top of the left circle that contorts the spacing of the defense. It's kind of the, the Steph Curry effect in the NBA. He doesn't even need to touch the ball to get his teammates wide open so I'm of the opinion that I would pay Patrick Lane now because I'm not sure if he's going to ever come off of a worse shooting percentage kind of year this is kind of like his equivalent of the Nazem Kadri 2015-2016 season where he's shooting well below what I think he is as a shooter so I'd, I'd cash in on that if I'm the, the Jets and try to sign him to a seven or eight year deal yeah. so maybe I'm thinking about it in a crazy way and maybe his first two seasons were, were more smoke and mirrors and this third season is closer to what he actually is but I don't know, man. I, I think that he's a superstar talent when it comes to his ability to, to score goals and impact the game on a power play, almost like an Ovechkin or a Kovalchuk. I'd bet big on Lonnie because I think he's the kind of talent who he'll regress upwards in the future, not downwards. I agree. That's my bet. Oh, totally. And I think that, um, you know, whatever you want to say about his game in his own end, like, would any of us be shocked if he scored 50 goals next year? Like, really? 
He like th- this guy can honestly he can score fifty goals no problem. If he does that on a bridge deal, like you're screwed. You you'd have to break the bank. It's the him. PK Subban situation basically. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I'm just looking at Evolving Wilds uh, projections here. They have him at seven years at seven mil, which isn't. Oh, I would lock I mean, that in I, I would, immediately. That's, that's less than I... Th- I mean, I can't imagine he would... There's no way he would take yeah, that. Yeah, I can't no. imagine he would. No. But that, uh, that sort of... I, I just... I don't know. I. You, you've always hated him, though. I don't, but it's not that I hate him. It's it's not that I hate him. Because I, I don't hate him. I, I actually enjoy him. Um, but he drives me insane. Like, he's easily the most one-dimensional player I've ever seen in my entire life. Ilya Kovalchuk's another one that I think even you could man I I just Patrick Liney does and I understand scoring goals is the if you're gonna do one thing it's score <laughs> yeah. goals like look I'm the biggest Phil Kessel fan there is but I've never come across a player like Patrick Liney who literally when he is not scoring goals he is completely and utterly useless like he you could make an argument that Alex Ovechkin kind of fits that mold uh i don't know about that i mean i see where you're coming from a little bit and maybe he's good i don't know i i don't know my my argument with you too evan has always been that we're assuming that the guy can't improve right like of course he's only 21 i I understand he just turned 21 like three months ago and so like we're we're but his shot metrics are so pitiful that it's even if he improves i'm not sure if he ever gets to break even damn <laughs> that's pretty bad <laughs> he's just he's no but like the thing is his shooting talent is so otherworldly yeah. the pros are gonna outweigh the cons yes. right, right yeah fair i mean like yeah okay i mean i just figured that i don't know enough about him as a player but is there no chance that he can get better positionally and learn to use his body a little bit more effectively because he's such a big guy but and that's just, what we said just, about james van reams like for years and even become like uh you know just a below average defensive player if he can do that and score 45 goals who cares we had those same questions about jvr for years the yeah. guy's six five when's he going to learn to use his body when's he going to learn to like play you know power forward hockey it just some guys just it'll never happen like it just it's just not going to happen. He did move his game closer to the net for what it's worth. He became a really good yeah, net for I, presence on the power play and at five on five. And yeah. Jets fans will tell you that his game changed in the playoffs for what it's worth. I don't really know what the numbers show, but in their, in their one round, uh, you know, they claim that he played that, you know, more of an inspired effort in his own end and used his body and stuff for, for what it's worth. But it's because they promised him he could play Fortnite after the games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, moving on because I'm just digging myself a big hole here. Um, <laughs> okay, we've seen he scored three goals in six games. Yeah, I mean, I, I take yeah. that. Yep. He also scored like seven. He scored what? Year. Like, I think it was 18 in the one month. Or was something, it November right? where he scored? I think he scored 50% of his goals, or maybe even more than that in November. And I think actually, if you run through a three to five game stretch in November, he might've actually scored 30% of his goals in like a three game stretch. Cause he had like a two goal yeah. game a and then a goal five game. goal game against St. Louis. And then he had like a hat trick right after <laughs> or something. I, I know goal scores are streaky, trust me, but he's just on another planet when it comes to that stuff. Uh, well, it's funny. Cause like his entire value is his shot. And then the rest of his game just isn't very good. So when the, the shooting percentage is going his way, all of a sudden he's the best player in the world. When the shooting percentage isn't going his way, he's almost unplayable. So it's just, it's really wonky with players like him. And it's funny, Austin Matthews is kind of in a similar vein. Any player who relies heavily 
on shooting percentage to impact the outcomes is going to be naturally just there's going to be a lot more variance in their games where a player who relies more on impacting the game at five on five with shot metrics, kind of like a Mark Stone or a Patrice Bergeron, they're going to be a lot more consistent from game to game. So that's the tricky part about a shooting percentage style kind of player like Patrick Lani. And I'm just looking it up right now. He scored 18 goals in November. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. it's insane. <laughs> 30 on the season. 18 of them came in November. Absolutely insane. Like that's, I don't know if that's ever happened before. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Have we ever seen a player score 30 goals in a season with 18 of them coming in one month? That's a trivia question right there. Yeah, I, that, that, that there's no way that's time. ever happened. I can't imagine there no would way. be if there was. Man, yeah. Oof. I'm, I want to know that story. Here, uh, you uh, <laughs> ask the next question, Nick. I'm going through his game log here. I'm going to have an answer for you in a second. Okay, so uh, for some general questions here, I mean, I, I was interested in uh, this Colton Sisson signing. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a trend developing with, like, uh, you know, bottom six guys getting these long-term deals. I mean... Do you see a trend developing here, Ian? I mean, it's, it's weird to me with that one, the Brandon Tanev thing. I guess Nashville had done it before, too, with the Cali Yarncroc signing. But previously, he got, uh, I think it was six years at two mil per year. It's just weird that these guys are getting term now. It seems like this is just like a, a new thing. I don't really get it. Yeah, and I'm always of the opinion that you shouldn't sign players in your bottom six to long-term deals because you want to be flexible to be able to change those players if in their later, like in a year or two, if that player is not as good, well, that's okay. We can move on from him next off season. We'll bring in this young player who's been killing it for our AHL team, or we'll, we'll sign to this player to a PTO who we think we can provide 80% of the value for 20% of the cost. So th- I'm always of the opinion that cap flexibility is a huge asset. I mean, we saw it this past off season where New Jersey was able to acquire PK Subban for basically nothing. Um, Buffalo was able to acquire Colin Miller for basically nothing. Sometimes players become available because their current team can no longer afford them. And if you have the cap flexibility, you can add an asset for nothing else other than cap space. So so cap flexibility is an asset in itself. And if you're signing a player to a deal that's going to hurt you in the long run, that's basically a negative asset. So that's the risk here is that Colton Sissons four or five years from now isn't going to be worth $2.8 million. And that's not going to help Nashville out very much. The other side of the argument is, well, they kind of did a similar thing with Kelly Yarncroc, and we've all said that we really like that contract because, you know, as the deal went on longer and longer, the cap went up, and $2 million, all of a sudden, that wasn't what third-line players were getting paid. That's what fourth-liners were getting right. paid. So by the, end of the, by the end of this deal, has the cap gone up so much that by 2024 or 2025, you know, $2.8 million, that's not what you're paying a third-liner anymore. That's what you're paying a fourth-liner. I don't think so. But I think that's the way that Nashville sees it. And I can understand the argument for what it's worth. But I just think there's risk when you're signing a, a player who's 25 years old to that kind of contract. Because we know that players peak at age 24 and progressively get a little bit worse. And then, you know, in their late 20s to early 30s, that's when it really tails off. I honestly think the first four years of this deal go a lot better than I think some people tend to admit. I, I think Colton Sissons is a better player than, than 
people are giving him credit because they're really ripping on the fact that he got seven years. But man, years five, six, and seven of this contract are, are very scary. There is a scenario where this works out very well for Nashville. I just think that it's unlikely. And, and the much likelier scenario is that you'd wish that you hadn't signed it and you wish that you'd had that cap space to acquire a better player. Like, you know, the Colin Millers or PK Subans where cap space is the asset that you can use to acquire the player. And I'd rather just have that $2.8 million worth of cap space five years from now than Colton Sissons at that number. Okay, I got some numbers for you. <laughs> from November 19th to November 24th of 2018, that's four games. Patrick Laine had 11 points and 11 goals. <laughs> so Patrick Laine scored... <laughs> 33% of his goals in the season over a four-game stretch in November. Five days. Five days. That's crazy. Five days. And when you say uh, 11 goals? 11 goals. He scored over... That's actually 36.7% yeah. of... Uh... He shot 52.4% he shot also. <laughs> like He took 21 shots and scored 11 times. It's, he scored 18 goals that month yeah. and had one assist. It's just like, <laughs> I respect that month so much. Yeah. <laughs> he is, he's something for sure. Uh, all right, let's get to some... Shooter's uh, got to shoot, man. Yeah. It's 2019. You got to yeah, shoot, shoot your, your shot. shot. Okay, some uh, general rapid fire questions here for you. Uh, and maybe it's putting you on the spot a little bit, but that's what we do here. So in your opinion, who has had the worst offseason? Whoa, that is a very good question. Um, do you have, do you have like a top three in your opinion? I, while I quickly think about I it in my like, head, I'm going through some I feel like right I now. hated, I mean, I, I hate what Vancouver does usually all the time, but I, you sort of, uh, quenched my hatred, I guess, for what they've done. So maybe I got to back off them a bit. What about you, Nick? Yarmo Kekalainen. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. Like he, he went for it. Like I guess their they team really is so anything. much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I didn't think Nashville needed to trade PK Subban. Yeah, I didn't I, either. I, that's I, I haven't heard people bring that up, but it's just they acted like they needed to get rid of that contract when they could have traded another contract out. They didn't need yeah. to sign Matt Duchesne to an eight million dollar deal. I'd rather have PK Subban for nine million than Matt Duchesne for eight yeah. million. So maybe it's Calgary. Uh, I mean. I mean, Ottawa is, is, I think, a big missed opportunity, in my opinion. I felt like they had lots of cap flexibility, could have taken on some bad deals, yeah. acquired assets. You mean you don't like and them they just kind of sat Toronto's there and did nothing? Entire defensive coaching staff and core <laughs> and penalty kill you? That's, uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the Ron Haynes and Akita Zaitsev pairing that we've all been waiting yeah, for. Someone forgot uh, about defense. <laughs> <laughs> Not Eugene Melnick. Poor Thomas Shabbat. Thomas Shabbat like, had to play with Cody Ceci. Now he's going to get one of Ron Hainsey or Nikita Zaitsev. And Eric Brandstrom's probably going to have to play with the other one of them. So it's, it's going to be frustrating for me, who is actually really looking forward to watching some of the Senators games, just because I love Shabbat and I love Brandstrom so much. But, uh, uh. That again, this was always going to be a lost year for Ottawa. So what can you do? Fair enough. Um, all right. On the other... Uh, I guess I won't ask you who's had the best offseason, but uh, what move, I guess, surprised you the most so far? I was not expecting Artemi Panarin to go to the Rangers. I thought it was set in stone that he was going to go to Florida with Bobrovsky. I think Florida might have thought that when they signed Bobrovsky. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> did. To a, what is it? Is it a, a seven-year, yeah, $10 million dollar deal? Ridiculous. That guy had the best offseason. <laughs> yeah, For honestly. a goalie who turns 31... <laughs> In September. Oof. 
Man, yeah. there so was a time last thing. year where if, he looked uh, dead. He was so bad. I at hope times. that works out for Florida. I just uh, that is that's that's a deal that's not going to look very good in a couple years. Yeah. But yeah, the Artemi Panarin move uh, really surprised me. It was in, in a good way. In that, oh man, this is going to be fun. The Rangers are going to be good again. I was not expecting PK Subban to get traded for nothing. I, I assume that if you're going to trade PK Subban, you get something back in return for him. I was really surprised at, at the return for him. Um, is there anything else that really surprised me? I didn't think Milan Lucic would ever be traded. I didn't think that was a tradable contract, even for a bad contract in return. So I, I got to tip my hat to Ken Holland, even though it's James Neal coming back, who you have on the books for, what is it, four more years? Or is it five more years with James Neal? It is four more years. It's four more years. This this year and then three more. All right. So even though it's not a good contract that's going to be on your books, I think it's a player who can provide positive value and isn't the net negative that Milan Lucic was. So I I did not think that that contract could get traded. But I, I guess we live in a world now where, where no contract is untradeable. If David Clarkson can be traded multiple times i mean this is like the third time he's been traded in a couple of years and uh, if milan lucic can be traded then no one is truly untradeable um all right let's get let's get a bold prediction for something that'll happen the rest of the summer before the season starts and i mean bold like, like hot take scorching hot, hot. Take bold scorching hot take. we know you've got like mm. 10 stories ready to go in the athletic like Trashing Max Domi, etc. Austin Matthews, <laughs> waiver candidate. Got asked the question. <laughs> um, my my scorching hot take is that the Leafs do so. Well, I don't know if this is even a hot take at this point. If I say that Jake Gardner signs with the Leafs and they do some weird kind of trade to make room for him, so I got to go harder than that, I guess. Um. Montreal signs another player to an offer sheet. Oh, I love it. Well, it's not Braden. It won't be Braden Point. That's never <laughs> no. been ruled out. Mitch Marner? They tried. They did try, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder. That's. I don't think Mitch Marner would sign one with Montreal. I, I think. Well, then again. He, unless yeah, like, it was the same thing, I, right? It sounds Use like he's looking a better for one in a higher dollar amount range. Yeah. yeah. Um, do I have another really good hot take? I'm trying to think of a good one, but I don't have anything off the top of my head because I feel like all the major trades that were going to happen have happened. Cody Franzen is there signs any... five times five. <laughs> Cody Franzen signs a PTO there with the Leafs, baby. There you go. Fair <laughs> did you get did spicy? You get, did you get fooled, by the way, by the Cody Franzen PTO tweet that uh, was the fake one that was going around? Because I did. I did for about two yeah. seconds, and I got like embarrassingly <laughs> happy about it. And then it just uh, came crashing back down to earth. And Steve Dangle replied to the tweet. He's like, why would you do this to Ian Graff? And I'm like, Ian Graff. I agree, man. That was that was a low blow. That hurt. By the way, I do love that you're embracing, you're still embracing the Ian Graff uh, moniker. It's great. It's fun. I like it. I don't know. I feel like it's my brand at this have point. You, have you been in contact with Jeff O'Neill at all or no? Is he just... That no, was... and I want to be. Like, I actually think he's funny and I like him and I, like, it's, but... Uh, I don't know. Someone at TSN, if you're listening, hook me up. I'd love to go on and talk with them. I think it would be a fun time. And I don't even mean that in a mean way. I genuinely think it would be fun. So I would. I don't listen to any sports radio, but I would definitely be tuning in. It was like the the only the only other must tune in sports radio was when uh, Steve Simmons and Tyler Dello went at it. You remember that? 
Oh, see, that's the thing. I feel like people want me to do that. I'm like, no, like I <laughs> genuinely think it could be a good discussion. But I mean, I, I think people want blood at this point, and that's that's not my style. I, I try to follow in the footsteps of my my hockey dad Twitter, Sean Tierney. I try to you know treat disrespect with respect, and uh, that's how I was raised. So. So no, you won't hear me be mean on on the air on the airwaves. That's that's not my style. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint. Ian's a good Canadian boy. We love it. <laughs> uh, you want to plug anything you're working on, and where people can find your fantastic, fantastic work? And I'm not just saying that. I read literally everything you put out. Yeah, it's we incredible. both do. Oh, I really appreciate that. Uh, I guess I'm not sure what is this going to be coming out on Thursday. Uh, hopefully, depends how much sleep I get tonight. Okay, because I was going to say, like, I've got the, the live podcast coming up Thursday night, but if you're listening to it, it's probably already too late. If not, if you're listening to this, like, Thursday afternoon, and it's, like, 5 p.m., at 7 p.m. on Thursday night, I'm doing a live podcast uh, at Boston Pizza, downtown Toronto on 250 Front Street, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a bunch of people out there, Adam Wilde, Rachel Dory, um, Mikey Stevens, who else am I forgetting, uh, J.D. Bunkus from Sportsnet. I think Jeff Fayette said he'd show up. So it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Theo. Theo's actually going to be there. He's Are real. Are you sure? Uh, he's, he's not just a figment of I, my imagination. I, I I can't be there on Thursday, but I'm going to have to get someone it's to It's going to be really awkward in. when I'm there talking to Theo, and it's just me there with two microphones <laughs> talking to myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, all the proceeds are going to charity, uh, to the Canadian Tire Jumpstart program to help get uh, underprivileged children into organized sports. So really looking forward to that. Otherwise, yeah, my, my stuff's out at The Athletic. I'm trying to do more NHL stuff this summer. So I put out a top 10 list of players who I think are going to be breakout candidates. I'm also putting in a, a top 10 list of players who I think are likely to regress uh, next season downwards. And uh, I was talking before the podcast started. Andrew Shaw is not going to repeat what he did next uh, – last year that's just not going to happen max domi i don't think is very likely to do what he did last year but uh it's also worth noting that i don't think morgan riley's going to repeat what he did last year so for any Leafs fans listening this goes both ways like we can't just make fun of other teams morgan riley's not going to score 20 goals next year it's just not going to happen i think he's a great player i think he's going to be an excellent defenseman next year but he's not going to double his career average in shooting percentage that's just usually not how these these things work so you can check out my stuff at the athletic you can listen to my podcast and uh yeah really appreciate you guys having me on this was a fun time absolutely no problem and myrtle's gonna uh we can't let myrtle hear this because he's gonna get mad at you for there's a paywall for a reason ian (laughs) you're you're giving away the content for free hey hey, that was that was three that was three (laughs) of the ten it was a little little teaser that's uh 30% 30% of the content. I feel like Patrick Lani in November here. <laughs> and you got to read to find out why as well. I, I want to know what the ta- what the deal is with Max Domi. Why is he not going to hit well, that number? What's the deal with Max Domi? Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Amazing as always. Um, and uh, your Twitter is Ian Graff for those wondering. It's not... At Ian Graff on Ian Twitter. Graff. And I've got yeah. the Leafs Geeks podcast and the Staff and Graff podcast that I do with Rachel Dory. She used to be... A, a, she was a staff member of the New Jersey Devils. She's staff. I'm Ian Graff. That's our podcast there. And yeah, you can probably listen to that wherever you're listening to this. But really appreciate it, guys. This was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Even though we had to talk about the Canadians for a little bit in there. Didn't enjoy that. But <laughs> yeah, otherwise, it was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Man. I'm signing off. off yeah. of me. I'm out of here. Uh, all right man we'll talk soon have a good rest of your summer okay hey sounds great guys have a great night